I'm India and welcome to the second series of the Starter Ripple podcast. This series is proudly sponsored by Cotswold Outdoor, the outdoor experts working to change the fabric of outdoor retailing. And you can find out more about their sustainability mission and services on their website. Now, this podcast is a platform for me to chat with inspiring folk that are making ripples in their lives by moving in nature. And I'm here to find out a little bit more about how this connection with movement and nature is having an impact on their mind, body and the environment too. And I hope the conversations that come from this podcast will encourage you to get outside, move, dream big and see what happens from the ripples you create. All right, it's time to introduce my guest. Dr. Adia Misra discovered kayaking living in Sweden in 2014, and it made such an impression on her life that she decided to change her career so she could spend less time in the research lab and more time outside on the water. She later trained as a paddle coach, discovering paddleboarding too, and since then has gone on to become a British canoeing She Paddles club champion, hoping to improve representation of women at her local canoe club in Liverpool. Adja continues her passion for improving diversity in paddle sports in her blog. And in this episode, we talk openly about the subjects she writes about, including gender and ethnic diversity within the paddle sports community. Hi, Adja. Welcome to the Starter Ripple podcast. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, and thank you for having me on this podcast. It's a, it's an amazing honour to be on this podcast with so many amazing people. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. Um, now, I've done my research behind you, of course, um, but my listeners won't have done. So if you could just start by sharing your background and sort of look back at the ripples that you've made in your life up until now and tell us how you got to where you are today. Yeah, um, so it's... It's interesting. I, I always think about my life in two two halves before I started kayaking and after I started kayaking. Um, unfortunately, the first 30 years of my life were very dull, very boring. Um, I, I'm from Newcastle, but because I'm brown skinned, people always want to know. So I, I am Indian um, and people like me don't often do a lot of outdoorsy things. So, of course, I grew up doing very normal things like going to school, going to university getting a job. Um, nobody in my family is super outdoorsy. Uh, nobody's really athletic. So for us growing up, it was just, you know, doing the odd school runs and school swims and going to the beach. Um, it, it was really nice. I never thought I was missing out on anything until until I moved to Sweden, um, which was um, my first, first real job in the real world. And the, the Swedes have this this joy of being outside, right? Everybody knows about that. Uh, it's called friluftslivet, which is the, the life you live outside. And that really rubbed off on me. Um, I never thought it would. <laughs> I thought they were crazy. <laughs> they, they would leave the office at Friday, Friday, three o'clock. They were out to their summer house and they were all doing kayaking, running, climbing, stuff like that. And I was so inspired by that. Uh, and I thought I, I would I would really love to do that. But of course, having done nothing for the first yeah, 27 years of my life, I would never have had any idea where to start. I didn't have a summer house, obviously. 
um, and I didn't have many friends who were who were doing outdoorsy things either. So one of my Swedish friends uh, effectively said to me one day, "You're coming kayaking with me." And I said, "Look, um, I'm in the lab. Uh, I used to be a scientist at that time." Um, and I said, "Look, I'll never make it. I'm usually in the lab till ten o'clock at night. I can't do this." And she had pretty much forced me to go kayaking with her one random Thursday in the middle of summer, and I absolutely loved it. It was amazing to just be out on a lake uh, around sunset, kayaking with a bunch of strangers, um, varying abilities, and just just looking at the light, looking at the water, the reflections and the smiles on everybody's faces. It was absolutely amazing to, to share that experience. And um, I, tr I tried that a couple of more times and then I was actually hooked. I was doing about 10K circumnavigations around the island that I lived on at the time. We did that three, four times a week. I went to the Baltic Sea for some uh, short trips as well. So it, it effectively gave me something to do at the weekend, which wasn't, <laughs> which wasn't working really, uh, because I used to work weekends at the time as well. And um, yeah, that's kind of how I, how I changed my life. That's how it became before and after kayaking. And um, when I came back to the UK, I was still doing um, scientific research and very quickly I realized that it's incompatible really with my, with my new love for the outdoors. I can't be at the, uh, in the lab at the weekend. I can't be chasing contracts every three years. I can't, I can't be doing grant deadlines. This is, this is not my jam. And um, I, I took about six months to work out what I wanted to do next. And um, I got a job in medical publishing, which was really nice. It's more office based, it's nine to five. I'm really passionate about it um, because it gives me a chance to use my knowledge um, in, a, in a different different industry. And it gives me my weekends back. <laughs> so yeah. I can actually, I, I can go kayaking, I can go camping nobody's going to think that it's really strange that I'm not working at the weekend so absolutely mm. fabulous yeah and, and it's really interesting that you say that because I lived in Sweden for a little bit and it had a huge impact on my life too um it was 12 years ago when I was 20 and um although I was there mainly in the winter so there wasn't much natural light everybody just got outside as much as they could um I guess made the most of that light and uh yeah, and weekends did crazy things like jumping in freezing cold lakes and then going to the saunas and, and I wasn't paddling at that time. But I can totally appreciate how you would have got enticed um, by the beauty of that country, you know, paddling around the archipelago islands and everything. So so yeah, I can see how how living in Sweden hooked you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. And I think I think it's that they have this mentality that you can't, you don't work, you know, all the time. You, mm. you, you don't live to work, you work to live. And it's so nice to actually mm. have that experience and bring it, bring it home, really. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, work-life balance is so, so important. And I think it's, it's something that a lot of us can take stock from. So before you found paddling, what were you doing in your in your free time or was it just all work 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 yeah it kind of is I mean um, being a researcher is all consuming um, I used to work at least a day and a half of the weekend um, and anything that was left over was let's go to the pub 
because we're also sorry raging alcoholics <laughs> <laughs> um all scientists either become marathon runners or raging alcoholics okay <laughs> i'd like to think i'm moving to the other category yeah <laughs> uh-huh. And um, I know, obviously, you're no longer a researcher and you've made quite a lot of changes since then. One being the fact that you are now a paddle coach. Yep. So so when did this happen? When did you decide to change your passion into a career path? Um, so, like I said, I, I came back to the UK after Sweden and I was, I was kayaking a lot. I was in London at the time and um, I was part of a club and it was we were we were paddling all the time it was two three times a week I was going on loads of trips and the club was growing and I could see that there were a lot of beginners joining the club and you know kind of nervous to be on a on a tidal river it is it's quite a dynamic environment especially if you don't think about it uh, when you sign up and I really wanted to help them and it it was it was encouraged in the club that more experienced paddlers could help those who are starting out and I think that came very naturally to me to just want to help people, um, you know, gain, gain that experience that I've gained and be able to confidently paddle down the Thames and say, look, I did it, or I'm doing it three times a week and I'm not scared of it anymore. Um, and it, that made me think, actually, I'd really like to become a paddle coach. And I did my, um, it's the entry level that doesn't exist anymore. It, it was the level one British canoeing coach in kayak and canoe. Uh, and of course, it meant that I had to become really good at kayaking and canoeing before I could do that. So um, I did that in 2017, just before they changed everything at British Canoeing. And uh, it effectively meant that I could take people out on taster sessions. So about 30 minutes in an enclosed um, flat water space, just get them going, get, give, them a, give them a try, give them a few tips, play games on the water and stuff like that, which is, which is really nice for people who are just just trying something out and they don't know whether they'll like it they're not like uh, everybody else who just wants to get into kayaking and do racing and stuff like that so I was really interested in doing that especially because I don't see many people who look like me on the water Um, and part of my motivation to become a coach is to get that that element of diversity into paddle tools that we talk about quite a lot but we're not really achieving it and um, for me it's it's getting people to see that somebody who looks like them can actually achieve those things as well yeah and and I'm really glad that you brought that up because I've been reading your blog and there's so many fascinating subjects on there that you write about I mean we could spend hours talking about all of them but um, just to pick out the, the the most recent post that you've written which is a blog on diversity. And in it you say, there are days I still wonder if I belong in the world of paddle sports or if I'm just fighting for a corner. Um, I was wondering if you could dive in a little bit more into that and why you felt you needed to write it. Um, So I think it, it comes from a place where I don't see people like me. And it's not just the color of my skin. I'm very, very short <laughs> and I'm a woman and I have a full-time job and, and I'm Indian and very few people can relate to that. And every year, whenever I'm making a big purchase, like at the moment, I'm thinking about buying my first kayak and I've been kayaking for eight years. Um, and the fact that I'm still thinking about it, whereas other people who 
try it for five minutes and want to buy it makes me think there's something different about me and I still feel like oh I don't know well will I still be doing this in a year's time will something happen that makes me think actually I don't fancy doing this anymore it's too much of a it's too much of a boys club or it's just for Mm. white people Mm. and and I'm not able to do the things I want to and I still face discrimination Mm. at various levels people don't always mean it but it, it is still discrimination and it always makes me think that maybe one day I'll just not want to do this anymore um and and the fact that I paddle three disciplines canoe kayak and paddleboard and I see that in all three is is powerful and there are so many people who probably face a lot more discrimination than I do people mm-hmm. larger than me people who are probably neurodiverse they have anxiety or you know they just they're on the autism spectrum they they're not made to feel welcome in paddle sports and that's that's the reality we need to um talk about a little bit more than we are at the moment um people don't really talk about the challenges that we have as a as an industry as a community we just talk about how amazing it is um for everybody's mental health and physical health which it is but there are a lot of people who are made to feel very unwelcome and i think that's that's something we need to work on so do you have an example of when you were made to feel feel unwelcome oh so many so many oh, times wow. uh, I could write a book um on that no and... you should <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it needs to be talked about more often you know case studies I think I think it's one of those things that people will always say that I didn't mean it or mm. that I I am too sensitive and you know as as women we're always told we're too sensitive aren't mm-hmm. we and 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 we are and and that's a good thing and that's what that's what makes us better paddle coaches I think and I, I'm sure you'll agree with that mm-hmm. aspect um I nearly gave up kayaking when I first moved to uh, Liverpool I had gone for a, um, an adventure week in Anglesey with a with a a woman uh, coach and she told me that I wasn't strong enough or confident enough to progress and I didn't sit in the kayak for six months I started paddleboarding I was like I, I'm not going to do any more kayaking that's fine I'm just not strong enough and yes maybe if I think back now I shouldn't have let her words be so powerful but when when you're in a dynamic environment and that power dynamic of somebody telling you you're absolutely awful you believe it and why wouldn't you mm. um it, it's not it's not for them to say what I can and cannot do of course but if it sticks with you it sticks with you yeah no it does it does um I guess as a female I personally haven't felt discrimination within the paddleboarding community but I definitely have felt it within the surf community um so where my local spot uh, where I could surf we don't get surf all the time because I'm down on the Kent coast but when there is surf um it's very male dominated and I've actually made the decision now to not to not even bother trying because I'd never feel welcome there I'm quite often the only female um and I'm I just have had throwaway comments sent to me because I'm not at an advanced enough level you know to be there it feels like and and yeah, and it's sad that I, I don't feel like welcome in my local community. You know, I feel totally welcome when I go down to Cornwall and there's lots of lots of different levels and different people in the water, um, but, but not at my local spot, which is super sad. But I guess I've kind of been protected from it a bit in the paddleboarding community. 
Um, I think because I discovered paddleboarding when I, by teaching sup yoga, you know, that, that was my kind of thing and then it still is my thing and naturally sup yoga attracts more women it just does um although i do get men coming to my class and i really really welcome men coming um i'm naturally surrounded by a lot of women when i when i teach and when i practice um and i do say though i really do make a point of saying everybody is welcome if you've never paddleboarded before if you've never done yoga before don't worry and um, there's still poses you can do i'll give different variations on the poses um yeah just 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 please come and give it a go um but but yeah so kayaking and paddleboarding is there have you felt a difference in the different communities there because i'm not a kayaker myself just a paddleboarder and have you felt that there is sort of more discrimination in in one than the other out of curiosity so I guess paddleboarding is that interesting new sport at the moment, isn't it? It's mm. we're still growing as a sport. Yeah. It's definitely more women oriented, which mm. is something I love. Um, and I've heard some throwaway comments about paddleboarding and women from mm. from other people. And things like, oh, you know, if we wanted women to get involved in paddle sports, we should have created paddleboarding sooner. That's not quite how it works. Mm -mm. I think I think women are taking to paddleboarding because it's new and it doesn't have a a pre pre image in mm -hmm. our minds that it's it's male oriented and it's for mm -hmm. everybody and it's so accessible. Um, mm -hmm. Paddleboarding communities um, are very interesting communities. There's the the racing community that's very close knit. Everybody knows everybody, and um, they they seem to be a lot more uh, collaborative and friendly towards each other. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen anything that makes me think, ooh, I don't, I don't understand why you're doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and in general, because everybody's so in, interested in making it accessible for people, they seem to be, you know, trying to help each other, even if they are on the provider end, which is good. Yeah, exactly. And there's some really amazing people in the paddleboarding community, like yourself, who, who are breaking stereotypes. Um, and doing some amazing work behind that and you know I guess I guess I just want to say thank you um, <laughs> for for the work that you're doing because it's so important and um, although there will be days like you know like you've said where you felt like you wanted to pack it all in well, please don't please don't because um, yeah you are a real inspiration um, now kind of keeping on the subject I know that you're a She Paddles British Canoeing Club champion um, so can you tell us a little bit about that and what it means to you? Um, so for me um, She Paddles Club champion was really about improving things at my local club um, it was very male, male dominated in terms of who was attending the sessions and also the coaches and leaders um, so for me, it was starting just at the very basics that we just need more women to come out and get on the water with us. And that started with changing the imagery on our social media channels, changing the way we talk to people. So I, I'm actually quite embarrassed, but I re recently realized that people have started copying the text I used to invite people to a session. And they, they, they started just using the boilerplate, boilerplate template that I use which is a little bit more, it's, it's more catered to women because I always say, if you're interested in this, 
you should come along and mm. we'll learn something new. We'll work on our skills. I don't say things like we're going to go for 10 mile paddles and we're not, we're not going to do time trials and we're not going to do drills because I know that's language that is off-putting. It comes from my work. I have worked on so many different aspects of gender disparities, and I know what will resonate with women. And people are using that text, and I didn't even ask them to do that. I did hope that they would. Um, I hope that at some point somebody would think, actually, this is much nicer text. Let's use that. And they are using it, which is really nice. And I'm seeing more and more women uh, sign up to become group leaders. I'm seeing more women on the water. They come to our rescue sessions. My, I, I do every week. I do a rolling session in kayaks. I'm still the only woman there, so hopefully oh, we'll, wow. get, we'll get other ladies to sign up. And most women don't notice that that's a problem, but it is, right? If mm. I'm the only woman amongst ten other men, what are we doing wrong? Yeah. And uh, it's so important to have language that's that's inviting and accommodating to everybody's needs and so that people can feel like they're not doing an exam and they're yeah. there, there to spend some hours of their life uh, enjoying something beautiful and learning something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just all so important, isn't it? Um, I actually ran my first She Paddles event uh, last month. We had 16 women um, come and try out sup yoga and kayaking and I was so nervous launching the event because I was hosting it it was my idea I've got to fill 16 spots oh my goodness and I just couldn't believe it it sold out within a day or two and then the event itself was amazing everybody was buzzing from it I could see people talking to each other that didn't know each other and I think that's the amazing thing about these sort of events is that you meet like-minded people um, and of course it's lovely going paddling by yourself but you know from a safety aspect it's really important to have somebody else there and also from a social aspect it's lovely having someone else there to talk to and, and share your passion um, so yeah I think you know the she paddles movement is incredible and it is so important uh, for encouraging more women to get out there and enjoy enjoy the sport that we have both fallen fallen in love with. Um, now, I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on something that's recently come up on, in the news, actually. Um, obviously, you've got a medical background. So paddleboarding has recently been prescribed, I was going to say subscribed, prescribed on the NHS um, for mental health you know, to, to improve people's mental health. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear your professional opinion on, on that subject. Uh, yeah, so it's, um, pedalboarding is definitely part of the NHS's pilot um, in certain areas to get people um, out of their homes. I think um, social anxiety is a big problem in the UK anyway. And I think the last year and a half has probably brought that a little bit more to the surface and um, we don't have enough resources to help everybody's mental health in the in the way that we'd like to i think um i think the the nhs in scotland actually i remember a few years ago they had started prescribing nature walks for people who felt anxious and it started in shetland and it was you know a lot of people were so excited by that that it was going to start everywhere and it hasn't quite taken off 
in the way that I'd hoped that it would. Uh, I don't, I mean, I see a lot of people walking because they have their daily walks and, you know, they're enjoying their local spaces, but it hasn't taken off in the way of social prescribing as I had imagined it would, um, because people are still, people are still feeling terribly anxious, terribly depressed. And um, these are problems that we have always had. And we're just talking about them a little bit more. And I think paddleboarding is, is such a nice tool that we have now to take somebody who's feeling a little bit under the weather and uh, make them feel better, even if it's for an hour a week, an hour or two hours every week. Um, it's it's really nice. I just, I really hope it's with the right providers because I don't think everybody's geared up to deal with people who are suffering like that. Uh, there are a lot of people who are interested in performance and and racing and, and it's not fair for them to be clubbed in with social prescribing. Uh, and uh, equally, uh, somebody who's interested in social prescribing shouldn't be expected to run performance uh, sessions. Mm. So there are, I know a few people who are uncomfortable taking people out if they have severe anxiety. Um, and I feel that's really unfair because it's something we all have elements of. And just because somebody has told you that they have an anxiety problem uh, or, uh, or anxiety every day, that's that's not a barrier it shouldn't be a barrier and we should be using our sport to help them um get confidence back and feel feel less anxious and it's completely possible i guess it's i guess it's something that needs to be included more so in coaching training so that coaches feel equipped um when they have someone come to them from from that sort of background um, but but I really believe that one of the reasons the NHS has acknowledged uh, the likes of paddleboarding for for improving mental health is because you can pretty much only do it in nature. You know, I have seen sap yoga done in a swimming pool, but very rarely. And yeah, it, it's it's not it's not your usual usual way uh, to to do it. So the fact that you have to be on a canal, a river, a lake. Um, the ocean just means you're totally, you know, submerged in nature. And that's why I love it so much. And it's, it's, it's inspired me to start this podcast even because I could see the impact moving in nature was having on, on my um, mental health as well. And do you find that just being in nature has a positive effect in your, on your mental health? Oh, definitely, definitely. I think um, without without paddling outside, if you told me I had to paddle in a pool, I wouldn't do it. Um, I, I never went to pool sessions at any of the clubs that I've been part of. They're, they're dull. Um, yeah. For me, for me, paddling is being outside, having, uh, I've mentioned this before, it's, for me, it's almost like a meditative state. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I forget about everything else that's going on. I'm really in in the moment, watching every ripple in the water, watching every branch that's floating my way. Um, even when I'm coaching, I encourage people to reflect where they are in the moment so that they can really focus on what they're doing and how they're interacting with, with the water, really. And that's so important for our mental well-being. Otherwise, we're just lost um, without an anchor, in a way. Mm. And it, 
especially for people who live by the sea, they talk about that blue mind concept, don't they? And um, it's it's so nice that we're finally talking about these things and encouraging people to not take charge, but at least, um, you know, get, get the tools to help them in any way that, that's possible. Yeah, and I know this love of nature has led you to become a Planet Patrol community guardian. So another role to, to add to your to your list. Um, so, so yeah, if you could tell us a little bit about this. Um, I'm a big fan of Planet Patrol. I've um, led a couple of beach clean yoga sessions for those guys. And yeah, they do amazing work. Uh, but if you could tell us about your role as a community guardian, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, so I actually did that last year, um, so I'm quite brand, quite new to it. So if, if somebody had told me five years ago that I'd be litter picking in the waterways, I'd, I'd say that they were crazy. Um, I had never thought that I'd be doing it, um, but I did notice that there was a very clear change in, in the dynamic in between us and nature over lockdown. Some people were out enjoying nature, taking walks, and others were just taking walks and throwing their rubbish in the water. Um, it's it's terrible to see it. I've never seen anything like it before. So I, I started by just going on litter picks with others and then Planet Patrol had this call for community guardians. So effectively, I'm one of the few people in the Northwest that have been given the task of litter picking and changing the perception of being plastic free among the community. So we're um, supposed to be contacting businesses and getting them to become plastic free, encouraging them to ditch their single use plastic so that we can stop litter picking. I mean, I know we're trying to make it fun, but we don't want to keep doing that all of our lives. We want to start thinking about other materials that we can use uh, instead of single use plastic. So the role that I have is is really about encouraging people to think more more about the environment and where where our rubbish is ending up um i i absolutely hate that feeling of just fishing out plastic bags and crisps and things like that and i can't buy them anymore just because of the way i see them uh, where they end up and i know mine may not end up there in that exact form but i just can't buy it anymore so mm. starting with small changes um on an individual level is is still you know it's a it's a learning curve and then getting other people to try it as well it's it's hard uh, sometimes very expensive but the more we talk about it like everything else I think more people trying it will make it cheaper more accessible and it shouldn't just be a, something for middle class rich people it should be for everybody to be more sustainable more conscious of the environment mm. so um, it's definitely a, a difficult task uh, I live in one of the most deprived regions of the UK, and there is a very clear link between, you know, socioeconomic depravity and littering. Um, so we, we're not blaming anybody. It's just trying to get people to think about it a little bit more. Yeah, and, and I actually definitely find that I don't see as much litter along my local canal when I'm walking my dog, obviously on land, than when I'm in the water paddling. And I think you get a whole diff, you know, new perspective on, on the issue when you're in the water because, you know, if someone drops a crisp packet on the floor, the wind will blow it into the water, then it'll get all caught up in the reeds. And, um, yeah, you only see that if you are on the water. 
So it is important for paddlers to get out and litter pick. But, but then equally, I think what is great about Planet Patrol is that they, they're trying to fight it at the source. So they're trying to, you know, go to these companies who are creating most of the litter, like the likes of Coca-Cola and things like that, um, and say, you're the issue, you need to sort it out, rather than obviously just trying to constantly do loads of litter picks. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you must be so busy because <laughs> obviously doing doing the Planet Patrol stuff is all voluntary. So doing that on top of your full time job. <laughs> yeah, I think in a week I'm volunteering about three or five days a week. So oh wow! So you know, I'm I'm always volunteering. Um, I volunteer at my club. I volunteer with Planet Patrol. So it's um it's a huge part of my life, and it's it's really nice to be able to have that alongside my job well it's fair to say you are one busy lady um all right so just to round things off um i have the big big final question that i ask all my guests which is looking back at the ripples you've made in your life what are the biggest lessons you have learned for keeping your mind and body healthy oh that's a very big question yeah i know so i say it to the end (laughs) um for me i think the the biggest thing I've learned is that moving, keeping keeping moving, you know, not sitting inside, uh, moving outside is something that's hugely beneficial for my for my own mental well being. Um, I think we've had some huge challenges in the last year and a half, but I've had I've had to face some very big challenges before in my life, and I, if I had this knowledge at that time, I would have come out a bit stronger. And um, I wish I had that knowledge at that time. Uh, I, I started uh, swimming in the sea over this second uh, big lockdown and it's, it's changed my life. It's changed my perspective on life. Uh, and that sounds, uh, you know, so, so big and philosophical, but I really don't care about anything when I'm, when I'm just being battered around by the waves and everything just seems insignificant. And I don't think about the daily COVID stats or, you know, the, the inbox that's overflowing with emails. Uh, it's really nice to just be outside. And I wish more people would try it. Just, just being outside, uh, walking, hiking, climbing, paddling, whatever it might be, uh, whatever suits them. But it's it's hugely beneficial for us physically and mentally, and we should all be doing it a lot more. Yeah, I, I've really seen a, a rise a rise in it this year in particular, and actually mainly women, mainly women in my local beach. I see going out for their for their morning dip. Yes, it's definitely a between 30 and 60 age group. And you're doing it in Liverpool, up in the freezing cold sea, right? It's, I started in December because it was my birthday and I wasn't around my family. And I thought, I'm just going to do something crazy. And I did. Yeah. And it was amazing. Absolutely brilliant. Couldn't feel my feet for about three minutes, but went for a little run and it was okay. Yeah, well, takes you back to those freezing cold temperatures in Sweden I'm sure um well thank you so much Adia it's been amazing chatting to you today and if anybody listening wanted to find out a little bit more about you read your blog or even book a coaching session with you how can they do that uh oh okay if you want to find me I'm on Twitter and Instagram mainly um Facebook is you know I'm, I'm not really using Facebook um so you can find me on Twitter as Dr Adia Misra and on Instagram, I'm Queen Adia.
because I like to think of myself as the queen. Absolutely. Um, and um, if you want to have a coaching session with me, you should join Liverpool Canoe Club uh, because I volunteer there and I'm, I'm not doing this for money. And I can do small groups, I can do one-to-one, I can do big groups and we're doing we're always doing new things at the club and we run loads of courses for anybody who wants to try things or get better um, at paddling so um, it's really for everybody we have about 800 members so um, it's a massive club really nice uh, energy there so I really encourage everybody to join the club um, if they want to paddle with me oh and what about your blog too uh, my blog, yes, my blog is going to change very soon. Uh, I'm going to change the the name and things like that. Uh, but you'll be able to see the link on my Instagram page. It's yeah. a, it's a mouthful. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think that's how I've always sort of found the link to 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 read your latest your latest post. Uh, I'm I'm doing a, a revamp on my website, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be launching something soon. Um. So. Uh, yeah you'll be able to see it on my bio oh amazing well thank you so much for being a guest on the start a ripple podcast i love chatting with you today thank you so much thank you so much for listening to this episode of the start a ripple podcast if you like what you heard then please do subscribe and write a review it helps other like-minded souls find this podcast and means you'll never miss an episode If you want to get in touch, then the best place to find me is via Instagram. I'm at with underscore India. Or you can find my wellbeing hub at Finn and Flo. Thanks again and speak to you soon.